Do you tend to judge yourself and other people too harshly? Are your expectations unrealistic and unreasonable? Today, we'll explore the idea of compassion and how to foster more of it. Welcome to The Happy Wizard. I'm your host, Dr. Shiva Guide. I'm a board-certified and licensed clinical psychologist, a public speaker, and an educator. In this podcast series, I'll be sharing strategies to help you heal from the past, navigate everyday challenges, and create a much more meaningful life. Hi, I'm Dr. G, and I'm excited to talk to you today about the importance of learning how to foster compassion. So some people say that money makes the world go round, but why do we need money? Well, I mean, aside from the obvious food, shelter, and other kinds of basic needs, love is, I think, what really makes the world go round. And love cannot happen without compassion. And healthy relationships can't happen without love. So we should start by defining the word, calm passion. Um, you can look online and there are lots of different definitions for the word compassion. Um, for example, the Merriam-Webster dictionary present day definition is sympathetic consciousness of others' distress with a desire to alleviate it. My favorite definition is the Webster dictionary definition from 1828. So think about it. That's been around for more than 200 years. And their definition is a suffering with another, with another, calm passion, a painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another, commiseration. Compassion is mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. And some portion of love can attend to pain or regret. So this is the definition that really resonates for me. But let's really think about compassion because maybe it's not just a word or some like occasional act of kindness that we offer someone else or ourselves. I'd like to offer this idea that the concept of compassion is actually at the heart and the core of our humanity. And maybe compassion is more of a lifestyle. And then let's think about what types of things become a part of our lifestyle? Well, it's just habits, right? So maybe learning to experience compassion starts by telling a story of compassion. It's about having a thought process, hopefully one that eventually becomes automatic, that informs all of the decisions we make and ultimately determines how we interact with the world and the people around us. I'd like to offer that having a compassionate thought process is really just like any other core values we might have. You know, there are other concepts that people talk a lot about, and maybe some of these have come up a lot during this global pandemic. But some of those concepts are things like gratitude, kindness, generosity. So let's break this down a little bit more. What are the key elements of compassion? Well, um, how about we start with awareness? Sure, self-awareness, we always want to have that. But more importantly, having an awareness of other people around us. So helping us to acknowledge that there is this thing called universal suffering. This allows us to normalize this, this common humanity. It's this idea that we're all in it together. And of course, kindness 
And, you know, maybe there are some other pieces wrapped up with that, like patience and forgiveness, but kindness allows us to embrace the pain versus running away from the pain, whether it's our pain or someone else's pain. And there really is a tendency um, for many people to run away from pain. It's an avoidance strategy. Why? Because pain of other people and pain of our own can be very anxiety provoking. Compassion involves a desire and, and also having the ability to find maybe helpful and effective ways to alleviate the pain, somebody else's pain or your pain. Again, compassion goes both ways. All right. So then we can say, well, what, what is getting in the way? Why don't we all experience compassion towards ourselves? And why are we not more compassionate with other people? I'm going to encourage all of you to think about your own experience as I run through a few of the different barriers to compassion that I've encountered in the work I do. One thing I hear a lot from people is that there's this misconception that somehow when you criticize yourself, it helps you improve or somehow it makes you feel more motivated to get whatever it is that you need to get done, done. And it's very similar to a thought process that many people with anxiety have. This idea that like, if I worry about it, it means I care. If I don't worry, Dr. G, then it means I don't give a shit. And of course, that's not logical. Caring is one thing. But worrying is a completely different animal and you can care without having the anxiety to come along for the ride. Criticism is one thing, but motivation is an entirely different animal. And typically criticism is actually pretty demoralizing, not motivating. Think about times in your own life when you have been beating yourself up about not doing something the right way or, or whatever, or maybe doing that towards somebody else. Did doing that to someone you love suddenly motivate them? Um, or did it motivate yourself? Probably not, right? You end up feeling even more discouraged. And then you get to a point where you're like, fuck it. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm not even going to bother, right? Another barrier, another common theme that I hear is related to people not feeling worthy of self-compassion, um, feeling like they actually don't deserve to be happy. And I've heard this from quite a few people, and this is very common among people who experience chronic anxiety, chronic depression, and certainly um, chronic trauma symptoms. But this, this feeling of not deserving to be happy, sometimes people even take it further and actually they have a core belief that they deserve to be punished. So clearly, if this is how you've been feeling, there's no room for compassion. And whether we realize it or not, once you stop having compassion for yourself, then you stop having compassion for other people. So in thinking about what compassion is and what gets in the way, it's, it's really crystal clear what needs to happen, right? We have to build skills. The good news about anything that is a skill is that if we work at it, we can get really proficient at it. And again, why the hell does all this compassion stuff matter anyway? Well, here's my answer to you. Compassion helps us heal and it helps us stay connected, or at least it helps us feel connected with the people around us. We know this is true. You know this is true when you think about your own life. Think about a time that you were in pain 
And maybe somebody close to you was not able to show you compassion. I'm guessing that you probably feel invalidated or misunderstood. You might've even had thoughts like, geez, do they even give a shit about me? Do they even care? Do they even love me? And of course, the end result of that is that you end up having problems in your relationship and maybe because of no communication, nobody's even talking about what's really going on. And there's certainly a lack of compassion. Without compassion, your sense of trust and your sense of being supported can be eroded and it can erode quickly. If right now you're thinking, and I know some of you are, well, I don't care about relationships with other people, fuck other people, because you're just, you've decided to avoid and isolate for the rest of your life. Well, here's some food for thought for you. Compassion and our ability to stay connected with other people actually impacts both our mental and our physical health. Research has repeatedly shown us that people who are more connected to other people are healthier, wealthier, and live longer. We also know from nearly a century of happiness research that a primary source of our happiness is related to our social support. We don't need a lot of people, but we need at least a small handful of people in our life who witness our life and are invested and truly care about us and and vice versa, of course. I'm going to emphasize this again. If you happen to be zoning out when I said this the first time, people who have close relationships with other people, even just a few people are significantly happier and therefore healthier than people who lack interpersonal relationships. And what I see a lot in my line of work is that unfortunately, when people start to feel disconnected from others, um, you know, maybe it's related to depression or anxiety or trauma, they also tend to lose this ability to foster compassion in both directions. And so what I mean by that is that they stop having compassion for themselves and and all the people around them. Of course, Um, if you aren't forgiving with yourself, then you're not going to be forgiving with other people. Uh, The worst case scenario of this is that we might see someone harm themselves or others. And, you know, not to get really dark, but we're going to have an honest conversation about this. Think about the backgrounds and profiles of perpetrators of violent acts. You know, often there's a sense of alienation or isolation. Either it's an actuality and they don't have that support network, or they feel that they are somehow different or cast off by the people around them. The bottom line is having people is protective. There's also a lot of really new, interesting research uh, studying the impact of technology on our ability to feel compassion. And what scientists have found is that there might actually be a negative impact on these younger generations who are growing up behind computers and all these electronic screens and communicating primarily through cyberspace and often from totally anonymous profiles. The main problem with this type of socializing is that it's not quite the same as in-person socializing. And those of you who are in my generation or anywhere around my generation, you know this is true. Um, There's an accountability when you're sitting face-to-face with another person. But behind a screen, that's not necessarily true. I mean, think about it. It's a lot easier to tell someone to fuck off by text message, by phone, or definitely by anonymous uh, messaging online or anonymous posting. 
And yes, I know, I know, I know. There are plenty of people with anger management problems who would say it in person. But, you know, think about it. And, you know, I, we all had a little, lot more time during COVID, but, you know, there were a lot of heated back and forth comments and conversations on Facebook and some of the other social media. Somehow, I think that when people are behind a screen, they feel protected by that screen and the distance and certainly the anonymity. And it emboldens some people in a way that's just not always helpful. We want, we want to be assertive, but we don't need to be aggressive. The simple fact is that people would be far less likely to confront another person as aggressively face to face if for no other reason, just out of fear of the consequences, right? They could be arrested. They could be physically harmed, cause harm to someone else. They could cause distress to children, family members, anybody that's around and witnessing it. So people are just less likely to act out in socially appropriate ways when they are in person. In modern day life, parents and kids nowadays are totally overscheduled. And if there's two parents, they're both working. Teachers are underpaid and overworked. So who's accountable? I mean, how do we teach healthy communication and compassion to children? Compassion is believed to develop in the context of sitting face to face in front of another human being. And this is not even a human phenomenon, believe it or not, because other animals and other animal species demonstrate compassion as well. We just can't learn compassion through a computer screen. If you remember that 70 to 90% of what we communicate is actually nonverbal, then you understand that this isn't a substitute for sitting next to someone. There just is no substitute. We pick up on how another person is feeling by looking at their face and feeling their and seeing their body language or feeling their energy, um, sometimes feeling their pain and um, all the other nonverbal things that they're putting out. We just don't think that children can learn things like compassion by texting, emailing, talking on the phone and whatever other social media uh, kids use these days. I grew up in a generation without emoticons and cell phones. So naturally, my texting style has not evolved well. And I've been told by many of my friends that my text messages are too long, I use too many words, and that I use an excess of emojis, emoticons, whatever we're supposed to call them, that my messages look like those of a teenage girl. I'm not sure if that's offensive to teenage girls or to me, but um, it's the only way that I've learned to get everything I need to across by text message. In my defense, even using all of these emoticons, things can get lost in translation. I, I just always want to make sure that the meaning is coming through in the way that I intend it to. And now, if we want to think about all of this from a clinical perspective, here's another thing to think about, socializing through electronics allows for all kinds of avoidance, which is generally not beneficial. So the risk here for children and also for adults that have anxiety is that they'll never have uh, enough corrective learning experiences. They'll have fewer and fewer opportunities to build confidence in those social settings. And the less experiences a person has rising up to these challenges socially, these day-to-day -day challenges that come up in interacting with other people, the more anxiety they can develop about being in social situations. 
So unless you're planning to go it solo and live in an igloo in Alaska or go out on in, in a solar paneled RV out in the desert for life, just understand that you can't avoid social situations. None of us can. I always wonder what we'll see in a few decades and if this younger generation will have higher percentages of social anxiety and other anxiety disorders, Um, or if because of having less accountability, we're going to see more and more problems like mass violence. We're already trending in that direction. I guess only time will tell. But at the end of the day, we all need compassion. Living with compassion is a way of thinking, it's a way of loving, and it's really a lifestyle. And here's the thing about compassion, having compassion for the self and having compassion for other people. It's one in the same. They are two sides of the same coin. They cannot be separated. So if you have a lack of compassion for yourself, you will have a lack of compassion for others and vice versa. When people come in to see me and start talking about the people around them in really negative ways, I immediately understand And I can see how they talk to themselves and beat themselves up, probably even worse than the way they beat other people up. And I mean, verbally or cognitively. Uh, So I have to posit at this point, I really believe that if we lose our ability to feel compassion for other humans or even all living beings, then we lose our humanity. And I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that compassion is highly protective for our entire society. So in building our skills and learning how to experience compassion, what do we need to do? How do we get there now that we understand what compassion is, now that we understand what compassion isn't? Well, here are some things that will help you in learning how to build compassion. The first thing is attention retraining. That's what we call it in the field. Basically what this means is learning how to shift our focus to thoughts that are healthier and more helpful. Breathing, just learning how to slow down. It's okay. Take a long, slow breath. Learning mindfulness and meditation, learning how to truly be present in the moment intentionally and without judgment. Visualization, learning how to use imagery. You know, this is a powerful tool used across many settings, even uh, from sports to therapy. We, we use visualization, and that, that can be very helpful. Again, another important part of compassion. And then, you know, finally, self-care. Learning how to take better care of ourselves and the people around us. And we've got several short podcasts on learning how to live more intentionally, with more joy, how to create balance in our lives, um, and self-care. So check those out if it sounds like something you'd like to improve on. So let's finish up today with this homework. Ask yourself these questions and try to find the answer. If you can't, talk to someone close to you and get their feedback. One, do you believe that you're a compassionate person? Are you compassionate with yourself? And others? And in what ways does this show up in your life? Two, how do you foster compassion? So what are the skills you practice regularly? Think about some of the ideas I just shared, like mindfulness, breathing, critical thinking. Which do you use regularly? Three, if you need to work on this compassion thing, what's getting in the way? What are some of the unhelpful thoughts you might have had about yourself or others? 
Remember, compassion develops in a context of healthy socializing and learning how to communicate in healthy and effective ways and learning how to challenge unhelpful, unhealthy thoughts, which ultimately determine how we feel and how we act. The healthier you are, the more power you'll have to influence the people around you and to lead by example. So start by fostering more compassion for yourself. And eventually you'll find that you have more compassion for other people as well. Here's a really simple compassion statement that I like to offer my patients um, for those moments of pain that I ask them to embrace. And maybe this is something that will kickstart the new you. I'm having a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I be kind to myself. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you've learned at least one new thing that you can practice this week. Please feel free to share feedback and submit ideas for future topics at happywizardpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, stay safe and healthy until we meet again.